Sometimes it's a lovely bake, but sometimes it's a bit dreadful. Welcome to the Gingham Altar. I'm Matt. And I'm Megan. Every week we tackle another episode of everyone's favorite baking competition, the Great British Bake Off. And after we've said our piece, we try to put our bakes where our mouths are and replicate some of the recipes from today's episode. This week we're looking at Season 5, Episode 2. That's right, it's Biscuit Week. Mm. And it's really appropriate because we're coming up on, well, we are smack in the middle of the holiday season and, you know, Christmas cookies, that's a thing. That's a phrase. Yeah, now's the time to be making all of your biscuits. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I know that British people will call like all cookies and crackers biscuits, but I mean, in the South, that word has a completely different thing. So it's kind of confusing. (laughs) Yeah. I think we could easily have a Southern Biscuits Week. Yeah, exactly. I was like, it's, it's, I was like, what is what's a biscuit? It's like it's like a cakey bread, mm, and it's wonderful. <laughs> I think uh, biscuit probably has more in common with quick breads. Yeah, and they did a soda bread that I've actually replicated, and maybe we'll do that season someday. But that's what I think of when I think of a biscuit is a cakey bread. Me too, or something that's got like a breakfast meat in it, like a sausage biscuit. Dill mm. actually got up and made sausage biscuits for breakfast this morning because he was very sweet. Did he Did he put great jelly on it? Uh, he offered me jelly. I actually don't take the jelly on the biscuit. So. Not that kind of guy. Ryan think, like he told me a story that he heard about an old Southern man who came and I think he was um, in World War Two, and he came and spoke to his class at some point and someone had to pick him up and they went through the drive-thru at Burger King and he ordered a sausage biscuit with grape jelly. And Ryan thought that this was like some wild eccentricity of a very old, strange man. And I'm <laughs> like, nah, honey, that's a thing. I'm like what? Like, yes. Yeah. They usually just stick it in the bag for you. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, but he thought it was just this guy, and I had to disabuse him of that notion. It's like regionalisms. They can be gross from the outside. (laughs) Yeah. All right, you ready to make our way into the tent? So ready. So ready. Our first challenge up this week is the signature bake, and it is savory biscuits, savory Mm. biscuits, repping the song from the show. (laughs) And uh, they had to do 36 of them. It's a very specific number, so three dozen. Yeah. Now, Paul Hollywood has a cutaway, like right as they're explaining the challenge, that he's like, sometimes you just make three or four biscuits for a dinner party. Like what? And I was like, hold up. No. Who has? Because they're making like crackers. They're not making like cake-sized biscuits. And I'm like, who just had? So you would, you invite another couple over for dinner and each of you get a cracker? My recipe made 100. Or like, that was what it oh, said it made. Yeah, mine made probably four or five dozen. Yeah. Definitely. That was a strange (laughs) comment from Paul. Not sure what's going on in the uh, Hollywood home, but not the same thing that's going on in mine. And it seemed to be implied because they mentioned it, but kind of not when they were putting out the instructions, but that ostensibly these would be things that would go well with cheese. Yes. In fact, one of the hosts says, cheese here, cheese there. There's, There's a cheese related monologue that any cheese lover enjoys. Yeah. So were there any of the signatures that kind of stuck out to you or anybody that you want to talk about? Jordan, for example, our favorite nerd, named his sourdough starter Yorick, which I thought was funny. Have you ever done a sourdough starter? I haven't because I'm a little scared of them. I actually got really into fermentation for a minute and I made my own starter. I used wild fermentation, which means that you don't take a bacterial starter from yogurt or buy one and uh, you 
mix together your flour and your water and let it sit open until wild bacteria and yeast finds its way into your jar. And it's risky because it might create mold and then you just have to pitch the whole thing. Ideally, and for me, it did happen, local yeast finds your flour mixture and turns it into a very unique and local kind of flavored sourdough. And then you put that in your breads. Uh, I was in Alaska at the time. People do sourdough pancakes there, which I maintain is completely wrong and I disapprove of it. But you can make sourdough anything. I liked it, but I eventually had to throw it out because I just didn't make enough sourdough things to justify keeping it alive. And I think that that would probably be a problem for me too. Mm. So, but I thought that it was an interesting thing to bring in and I thought it was something that was good to bring from home so sometimes they'll bring stuff from home that i'm like the pas could have bought that for you yes uh you're just being i know i was a little snotty about louise's honey last week (laughs) but but this is like legit something you just gotta you either have it or you don't definitely nancy brought up something that i thought was interesting she said that she made it at home and she really liked uh, the flavor of the spices she was using but commented that her spices at home were old <laughs> like at home i use these old crappy spices so i use this much but now i have this these fresh herbs and i don't know quite how much to use and she did fine obviously because it's nancy but it did make me wonder where do you buy your um spices the grocery store typically okay so I, I buy a lot of them dried. If I know that I'm going to be using a fair amount of something, then I will buy a fresh thing. In the past, I've had window boxes where I've grown my own herbs and used those straight out. But I just, it's not something that really works in the apartment I'm living in right now. Mm-hmm. So I just you know use what I've got. But actually, the, the freshness of herbs was something that I was really considering when I made my bake this week and uh, i'll talk about that a little bit later on the last place i lived they had an entire store that was devoted to it was called spice and tea and so a summit spice and tea specifically in uh, anchorage and so old lawnmowers was, and park benches exactly um but um it was really nice i'm sure it's a place that demands a certain size and type of population to be successful but man i sure did enjoy it because if i had a recipe that called for fenugreek then i thought well i know where i'm gonna find that and it's not actually i actually wrote that down that chetna was using that and i was like i have no idea what that might taste like indescribable and that's you're mentioning chetna is interesting because she used fenugreek and carom and while i have used fenugreek uh in cooking some indian food once upon a time i've never used carom and it made me wonder a little bit When you're from a different culture and you are accustomed to flavors that might be unique, there's, it seems like there's the possibility that you'd present it to someone in a baking competition and they just wouldn't like it. Oh yeah. I think that's totally a thing. Yeah. And so it's kind of daring of her sometimes, I think, and of other contestants too, because it's like Ian uses a tar and that, I mean, they're fairly common now but there's always the risk that someone would try this exotic ingredient that you decided to incorporate in this competition and go like (laughs) like i i 
some people don't like anise. Uh, Paul famously doesn't care for the taste of alcohol uh, in bakes. And there's something, Mary can't handle really spicy food. Yeah, and she also doesn't really like strong like rose water or lavender. Nope. And so it's always kind of daring, I think, to bring in something that's a little bit more exotic or specialized. Because even though you might like it, there's a chance that they won't. A couple of them talk about watching their bakes while they're in the oven. Is that something you ever do? No. And it's not Me either. Because I'm it's not because I'm so confident. It's because I'm just I have a short attention span and can't be bothered. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what it is. Is like if it's if it's so finicky it can't take a minute on either side once the timer goes off, this isn't something I'm making in my home. I'll ruin it anyway. (laughs) If I have to watch that carefully, it's already ruined. Let's not kid ourselves. The biscuit I made this week ended up taking, gosh, way longer than anticipated. And it's, I kept putting in for, I would think, well, should I put it in for one more minute or more like five? And the answer every time is five. Can't be bothered. Like, can't, I can't check this five times when I could check it one. I'd rather just burn the whole pan. It'll be fine. The uh, the other like kind of comment while they were making that I really related to was Martha said that at one point her dog ate an entire pan of her biscuits while she was prepping this week. I made a note that said, Bess the mess at this point. So I have a, <laughs> a boxer mix named Bess. And about three weeks after we got her, I was making a bunch of fruit tarts uh, for my wedding, actually. I cooked all the food for my wedding. No big deal. Yeah, no big deal. God. <laughs> oh, my God. But uh, I had made all this dough for these fruit tarts, and I had made the tart shells, and so those were all ready to go, and I just needed to fill them day up. And so, but I had some some dough left over, and when I came out of my bedroom, she was on the table, all four paws on top of the table, eating tart dough. Such she a just looked girl. up at me and just stared. <laughs> Get down. <laughs> busted so busted did she like go to her crate after that like i know no. i've done wrong she wasn't ashamed in the slightest no. well there's so much food still to like look at and steal and whatnot and i mean what? she was only six months old she was still a puppy she was brand new to us so naughty. i get it but she's a naughty naughty, naughty puppy yeah i saw a picture of her being much better behaved than my dog from I, I, I'm not sure if I put it on Instagram yet, but I will if I haven't. Of her when you were making your Swiss roll and she was sitting just outside the kitchen, like with her nose, like at the boundary of where oh, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's supposed to be. Well, she almost set, caught the kitchen on fire one day. And that so that's why story. that boundary is up now. Dale had put a leftover on the stove that he was uh, heating up for lunch and he had gone back to our office to work on some stuff and she had jumped up to try to get it and she knocked an eye of the stove on. Oh my God. And so it like heated to like red hot and she started freaking out when the silicone uh, handle of the spatula he was using started was melting and catching on fire as it hit the range. Oh my God. And so it was freaking Bess out. And so she kept running to him and then running back out and running to him and running back out. And he was like, this isn't how she usually acts. I'm going to go see what's up. And he walked in there and he's like, oh, crap. Oh, my God. (laughs) And so that's why I don't own a three-quart casserole dish anymore because it shattered in the sink. Oh, no. Was it glass? (laughs) I know what to get you Uh, for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) One other point that made me laugh in the episode was when Ian talks about bend and snap about how his biscuits are supposed to both bend and snap and they make fun of him for it, but they completely miss that that is a perfect legally blonde reference. I know Dale and I were talking about the same thing. Bend and snap. (laughs) See, (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm glad you got that too. Did you know that there's a Legally Blonde musical? Yes, I have heard of that. It's actually pretty good. You know, that doesn't surprise me. There is a Bend and Snap song inside the Legally Blonde musical. Thank goodness. That needed to be there for sure. Shall we move on to the technical? <laughs> yeah, we can cut this out. But it's like, I believe the first line of the song is, look at my ass, look at my thighs. <laughs> Don't cut that out. <laughs> That's fantastic. Wasn't that, she was talking to the hairdresser. She is. I love it. So, let's talk technical. They needed to make 18 Florentines in one hour and 15 minutes. I didn't really have a lot to say about this. They look fiddly. I love the sound of a caramel dough with cranberries and nuts. Yeah, and it kind of reminded me, like, the the lace, like, I love a lacy kind of structure in a cookie, like a, a twill. But my suspicion about these is that... While they take a lot of, like, effort to get them together, I bet they don't keep very well. It's the caramel and the spreading quality, I think. I bet they get gummy. But I thought that they looked really cute. And they were very pretty. the bakers overall had a good interpretation of it. I think so, too. They all did relatively well. Sometimes they all bomb. But this time, I think most people didn't suck it up too bad. The person on the bottom was Ian. And... Even he, I felt, it wasn't like a disaster the way it is sometimes. It was just that everybody else did better. The person who ended up on top was my best boy, Richard. I felt like that was fair. And and they all looked good. I always wonder, especially in these early episodes, are they not just stuffed to the gills by the time they get (sighs) done judging a challenge? I read somewhere in one of those clickbait type articles, like 10 Things You Didn't Know About Bitcoin, bake off that nobody takes anything home because the whole crew eats the leftovers that's good at least but i mean even if you've got to take one or two bites of 12 things that's a lot of bites that's a lot of bites of just basically you know candy you know paul paul is not the slenderest man in the world but he's not heavy and mary berry is a reed by old lady standards so she says she's got i've got quite the sweet tooth where mary (laughs) where hollow leg a slender slender hollow leg i was really taken with the last challenge it's one of those where i was too intimidated to attempt it myself i'm glad now after you'll hear about what a an exciting afternoon i had when i did a much simpler challenge but the uh, showstopper biscuit scene really kind of blew my mind anytime when they have to find that balance between a wow factor visually and getting great flavor and bake i am so impressed by all of them and i thought that this was a challenge that really separated the men from the boys they they say yes it definitely did uh favorite phrases from this challenge i think we should start doing a little something for episodes phrases taken out of context just like (laughs) favorite phrases taken out of context are cone-headed puffin massive marshmallow mountain peanut butter island he's the fat pirate said (laughs) matter-of-factly and incredibly nude cowboy (laughs) all of these are very very fun and uh most of them were melon sue but there was definitely some uh, martha and some richard in there it probably bears bringing up that Mary is very anti-pre-made ingredients. And I think that is probably the reason why the person who got booted got booted. Because... Uh, Well, I mean, my note is literally, you bought fondant? This is not the Barefoot Contessa. We're store-bought as fine. Yeah, no. And, yeah, and making fondant, if he had made it and it was good, I think that he might have been okay. Do you agree? Fondant's never good. Good point. It tastes like rind. I've never had good fondant. I'll say that. No, maybe there are people out. Maybe 
when you do it really well, you you get it better. But I I thought it was not an inspired idea, you know, for the rocket ship on in the first place. And then it was very solid. Like he didn't end up with the problem that old boy Jordan ended up with, where everything just sort of fell apart because he wanted to have something super structural, but didn't have a structural enough ingredient. Right. So it didn't fall over. It was in good shape. It just wasn't impressive at all. No, but I think that the elements that looked impressive for people, and I'm just going to throw this out there. I think that piped decorations to make people always look kind of childish and stupid. Pipe decorations to make people... Like like Kate's children or the the people in the um the people in Nancy's Hansel and Gretel thing or the faces on all of the different faces for people that people that most people did they always look kind of cartoonish yeah childish and kind of cartoonish and it's just because there's only so much you can do with an icing bag mm, that's true and so I think it it looks like it's not necessarily as like done and complete as something that's much simpler but doesn't have that sort of person problem like i think that ian's horses looked really good but it was actually a pretty minimal design on them yeah i noticed definitely that he used all of the people who did piping really well had very different artistic styles like ian's piping was very slender brightly colored it was mostly biscuit not as much icing and that was really interesting and Luis used a similar technique but it it looked very different and I thought Richard's and and Richard ended up obviously doing very well this week but his was almost more cartoonish but he did it in a way that worked partly because of the nature of his scene that it was meant to be cartoonish right and I thought it worked better there and and I think that that it's because to me the the standout of all the showstoppers as as good and complicated as richards was luisa's dragon is just it's something you never forget luisa's work stands out the most i feel like you really see he's a graphic designer correct yes yeah and you can totally see it when he has to do something over the top and it's it's pretty amazing the construction of it and like he even thought down to themed cookie flavors like there was a smoky chili chocolate dragon I know. I just, oh, he's amazing. Well, and you can, and you can tell that the judges really liked it because they're like, we're gonna try this flavor, but we're gonna take the most ancillary part of this because we don't want to kill it. the design. You know, sometimes they just hack it straight through the middle yep. because they're like, this is ugly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm eating your monster because there is no point to keeping it alive. Right. My favorites were Ian's Wild West scene. For the display, the colors, the delicate piping, Richard's pirate scene for its kind of puzzle construction and the cartoonish quality, the bright colors. Luis's George and the Dragon was amazing. You can see all the forethought. I really liked the variation in size that he used because he had this huge dragon and it really helped to make the scene more dramatic. And but I actually... It was a hot mess. They say it was a mess, but I really liked the idea and the look of the monster in Jordan's monster attack scene. They were like, oh, it's a complete disaster. And I was like, it could be better, but I think it looks fine. My biggest problem with it was the monster was a little naked. Yeah. Like, you, you know, make it into a color. It. The monster can be whatever color. And so it's just biscuit colored. This is the moment to really pull out those neon colors that food shouldn't be. But but the face on the monster was so funny to me. Like something about the shape oh, and the very face. Cute. Yeah, like I I was actually pretty into that one and I think he was probably close to the bottom, but I liked it. 
and I can like whatever I want. There are a couple of other elements from other people's. I, I, well, I agree with you that all of those were great. I really loved Nancy's Brandy Snap Roof. Mm. I thought that that was a really clever idea, and I think that it really lended itself well. And it's so difficult. It's such a difficult cookie. I know from another, when I watched when they did it as a technical challenge, that the fact that she was able to pull that together is so impressive. And then I thought that, I know he ended up in the bottom, but Norman's display i thought was impressive yeah like looking at it you know it made good tv it did but he made a really simple cookie and we actually didn't talk about this when we were talking about the signature but he got a hollywood handshake he did for those farthing biscuits before it was a thing i think right they didn't make any bit of a deal about it and we'll talk about it one day but megan and i have opinions about the handshake the only other note that i have is that Every week I have like a, apparently a best look from a judge. And so when they're judging the, the rocket ship and Mary asks if they made the fondant and he says no, the look she gives, mm. oh, mm-hmm. could curdle milk inside a cow. Yep. Yep. You're done. You're done, buddy. Don't know why. Yeah, it's all, I mean, it's almost like she just wanted to open a trap door and just dismiss him right then. Nope. Nope. We do not bring in outside fondant. I just wanted to bring up how different this show is from American Food Network style baking shows with that. Oh my gosh, right? Because there, I mean, I feel like there are entire popular shows that are designed around watching people with art degrees make little sculptures out of sugar paste. And I love that in this competition, they care about what I care about, which is what does it taste like? And is the texture right? And Because... I've had, I think in America, if you're going to buy a really expensive, fancy cake, it's usually wedding cake. And I think most people have had some really pretty, really gross wedding cake. Oh, I've had some terrible wedding cakes. And for both of our weddings, we ended up going with a non-fancy wedding cake because we didn't want that to happen. Yeah. My grandma made my wedding cake. I was like, I I bought mine from a friend who is a, a home baker who sells things to people in the community and the piece we had a cake bar and the piece that we saved to eat on our anniversary a year later that had been in the freezer still moist oh my god yeah so i don't tend to enjoy those shows as much partly because there's a lot of manufactured drama but more than that because i just look at what they come up with and i'm like well that's a nice play-doh sculpture you've made i don't have a whole lot of confidence that i'd want to eat it right Do you think the right person went home this week? Yeah, I think so. Mostly just because of the uh, lamentable decision to bring in fondant. And I feel like his showstopper didn't really hit it. He was near the bottom with the technical. His signature was good. I don't think it's a case where it was... I don't think he should be embarrassed by what no, he got No, 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 not at all. No, and I have seen some where it's like, whoa, you really tanked today. But... He didn't tank, but he just got edged out. Yeah, I agree. And I will say, I think that I actually would have given Starbaker to Luis. Same. Between those two showstoppers, I mean, I don't even care what he did in earlier, in the signature and the technical. The showstopper alone, I feel like he should have gotten it. Yeah, so a good episode, though. A very enjoyable episode. It it was a really good episode. So we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with our recreations of some of the challenges from this week. (music) 
Welcome back to the Gingham Altar. Welcome back, guys. <laughs> now we're going to talk about our recreations of the bake this week. And this week, we both tackled the signature. Yes, which was 36 savory biscuits. I, there are going to be weeks when I'm going to attempt stuff that is a bit more complicated, but I'm just going to fess up. I am moving buildings where I work this week and did not have time to think about anything more than a couple of dozen cookies. Yeah, no shame there. And I, you'll hear about how I kind of screwed the pooch a little bit when it comes to playing by the rules this week. I wasn't terrible. I did my best, but uh, we were both struggling this time around. So I ended up making a lemon rosemary shortbread. That sounds delicious. I love both lemon and rosemary. So do I. And I was thinking, because we don't eat a lot of savory biscuits around here, especially things that might be more like cookie and less cracker, mm -hmm. uh, what to go around with. But I was also thinking about how they often talk about rosemary like it's a very soapy flavor. And I really like rosemary. Evidently, we like eating soap. Uh, apparently. So I, just, so I, I looked up uh, a couple of different rosemary shortbread recipes and i was thinking that you know rosemary by itself might be a little intense so if i added a little lemon that would give it another element be a little bit deeper and it wouldn't be quite so simple because what i was looking at is so many of these savory recipes were very simple hmm. and i kind of like that because i think the point is to let the flavor shine exactly i just i'm not used to baking in that way right and so compared to I, say that swiss roll <laughs> Right, where I, you know, there were 20 different things running at any one time. This was literally, I will say, I finished this with 30 minutes to spare. Damn. And I think that, so it's just a basic cream some butter with some sugar in it. And then you add in your flour and a little bit of salt and the flavors. So initially, so it called for fresh rosemary. Wait, back up for just a second. Let me break okay. in. Um, where did your recipe come from? So the inspiration was from a tasteofhome.com recipe. Nice. And uh, we'll try to post a link. But I did zhuzh it up a little bit on my own. Okay, gotcha. Please continue. I, you know, I threw all that stuff in together. And so I was combining the flour with my flavoring agent. So there's a little bit of salt in there. And my recipe called for rosemary salt. And so I bebopped down to the grocery store to get my fresh rosemary. And they were sold out. Damn it. So. Holiday flipping season. Right. So I guess we'll try dried. And I couldn't remember if I had any dried rosemary, if that was a spice I was out of. So I bought a new bottle of it. Okay. And I got home and I did have some, but it didn't really have that strong of a flavor. And it was looking a little gray. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, it's already open. Let me use it. Oh, no. And, and I tossed them in there and I was like. You know, I just don't know how good I feel about this. So I opened the other one and I tossed some more rosemary out of that in there. So altogether, probably a tablespoon Damn. of rosemary, of dried rosemary. Nice. But I didn't mince it up. So you, know, even though it's in just the little leaves when it's dried, I did try to get it pretty powder small. If you had it to do over again, would you hold out for the fresh? I probably would and probably cut it by about a teaspoon. Okay, gotcha. And then I... Just did the, and then I zested a lemon. And that's all the lemon that I put in there because lemon can be such a strong flavor mm. that I was worried when I was smelling it, the lemon smell was coming through really well, but the rosemary smell, I wasn't getting a ton of it. And so I was getting a little nervous, so I didn't want to throw any juice or lemon extract in there and kind of be like, I don't know, this is... You know, this just has rosemary bits in it. We can't really taste it. Yeah. So I, you know, you combine it all together. I actually, you know, wasn't thinking and used the whisk attachment on my my mixer instead of the paddle. So I had to pick it out of the whisk. <laughs> <laughs> that can take a minute. Yeah. Especially when you're trying to cream butter and it's like, get out of there. Oh, no. <laughs> 
So it all came together and then it was like toss it in the fridge overnight. Well, I don't have overnight. So I tossed it in the freezer and for about 10 minutes and I moved it to the fridge. And because this was so simple, I decided that I was going to try some different things I had seen on the show that I had never tried before. Oh boy. So the first thing was I usually when I ever roll out cookie dough or, or work with any sort of dough is I use I just use a, a floured worktop. But I saw that Martha rolled hers between two rolls of parchment paper. Mm. And so I decided to give that a shot and see how that went. Because I was like, oh, it won't stick to it. It is, you know, a little sticky. uh, And so maybe this will work out. And it worked out okay. Did it want to slide all over the place? Yeah. And it was also a little tough to kind of assess the thickness across the whole thing. Because you couldn't really see it because it's on the other side of a piece of parchment paper. Right. Have you ever done it between cling wrap? I haven't. I actually don't have any cling wrap right now. Hmm, okay. So when it when it actually said like wrap it up in plastic wrap and stick it in the fridge, I actually had to wrap it in aluminum foil. Ah. <laughs> so delicious metallic biscuits. I was very careful to make sure no aluminum bits like got into the dough. Yeah, that you probably good. That'd hurt your tooth. Ooh, that'd hurt your tooth. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I was rolling it out. And I decided because I wanted them to be even, you know, 36 perfectly identical right. uh, savory biscuits, that I was going to roll it out and I was going to cut them before I put them into the oven. And so I, I got out my little, I think it's probably my, my one and a half inch cookie cutter, and I was cutting them apart. But I think what I should have done is left the dough in the refrigerator longer because mm-hmm. as it warmed up as I was working with it, it became harder to get the the cutout pieces out without destroying their shape. Did they just stretch? Yeah, they would stretch, they would bend, or trying to to pry them up because they were so thin. And I wanted them to have, you know, a nice snap to them. I didn't want them to be very thick. You know, they were meant to go be little tea biscuits, basically. Right. So I got them on the tray, and I ended up, I cut the dough in quarters, and so a quarter would make about, a dozen or so plus the 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 leavings that were behind. So I'd have one dozen in the oven and I'd start working on the next one. And so I got enough done for the challenge this way, about 36. And they were mostly okay. They mostly come out, you know, looking pretty good. They've got a brownish color. They they firm up out of the oven after one or two minutes and you can really smell the rosemary when you open the oven because as soon as that heat hits the spice, it comes alive. That's a good thing to know going in that it's okay if it doesn't smell super strongly of rosemary when you're making the dough because I could see somebody adding more at that point because it didn't smell strong enough and overdoing it. Right. And so we, and so because I had a quarter of my dough left, I was thinking, let's give something else a try because these aren't perfectly shaped. You know, they have come up, they've got a little weird edges around because I wasn't able to get them off the thing. Let's roll out this last bit of dough and stick it on the tray all together. Mm-hmm. And when it bakes, we'll pull it out and and cut it apart while it's still hot with the cookie cutter. Like in Wazor did. Yes, okay. like he did. So I was like, I've got enough dough to, to try out this other method. Let's give that a shot. That was smart. You know, I was, I was making them and the whole process went pretty well so when i cut the the difference between cutting them out when as a sheet versus on the when they're on their own is the ones that i cut out on a sheet they actually look better they're a lot more consistent they they have all have a very similar color but they're soft oh because they're towards you know because you're making a lot of cuts towards the middle of the dough and so the same heat hasn't penetrated all the way through and that wasn't at all what you were going for It wasn't, but, and the ones that I made that were maybe a little bit more irregular were not, had a much better 
crunch and crumble to it. Because as a shortbread, it's going to, I mean, if you crunch it, it's going to crumble. Yes. And I thought that it was a pretty good biscuit. So Dale tried a couple of them. And the first night he was like, I don't know what I think about this. That's funny. It's a weird flavor for a cookie to have. <laughs> and you're like, that's because we're Americans probably and not used to savory cookies. Yeah, exactly. And it's because the cookie kind of tastes, you tasted the lemon up front mm -hmm. and then the rosemary kind of towards the back of the flavor. It's not that it's not good. It's that it just doesn't compute. Right. And the rosemary kind of leaves a, a, a fresh taste in your mouth, a very herbal kind of taste. I like the sound of that. And so I really liked that. But he texted me yesterday because he was off while I was at work and he was saying, I cannot stop eating those cookies. They've really grown on me. <laughs> yeah, that's, I've had a similar experience with mine. Initially, you're like, eh. And then as time passes, you find yourself grabbing two, four, six across the course of a day. So I, I think there's only like six or seven of them left and they haven't left my house yet. That's a rave review, I would say. Yeah, I think so, especially for something. And it doesn't, this recipe doesn't call for a ton of salt. It's only maybe half a teaspoon. But... You get a little hint of salt in every bite. Mm. And I think that that's really important. And because it's kosher salt, you get a little bit of a crunch with that. That's that's pretty nice. I like that. I mean, that sounds like it was a great bake. Did you... So what did you learn? Let's re revisit. So I think that the big takeaway from this is that a lot of times when you're reading about like how to cook or things like that, that... You might discount it because you're like, well, that's what a finicky person can do, but I'm not going to do that because I'm a home baker. Mm. But there's some stuff that you just can't get around, like fresh spices just have a stronger flavor. They just do. And after about six months, your spices are old, and so you need to toss them. So when you're buying spices, think about the sizes and if bulk works for you. I go through so much chili powder, I can buy it in bulk, but I don't go through enough cardamom to do that. No. And... Herbs versus spices, like things that you would only use ground, for example, you're not going to be able to buy fresh, but any chance I have to buy something that I can buy fresh, I tend to like it better. Right. And so, I mean, I think if I had had the chance to do rosemary, and if you're not aware, the, the, the dried to fresh ratio for herbs is you want three times as much fresh as dried. Yes. So if, if I were remaking this, I probably would have done two tablespoons of fresh rosemary, maybe two and a half. Instead of just one tablespoon of dried. Yeah, or, or even a little less. Okay. The other thing that I learned is that while baking a, an entire tray of cookies and then doing the cutout looks better, it actually makes a better cookie to, even though it's harder to do it before they go in the oven. And the only exception to that would be if you were okay with your your cookie being kind of softer. Which, which is something we don't mind here in America. No. Uh, Dale said he's like, I like these soft cookies. I don't think it's what you were going for, but they taste pretty good. Mm -hmm. I think the underbaked cookie, like literally an underbaked cookie is popular here. Right. We, I mean, you can buy supermarket cookies that are all chewy and, and different things like that. And that's not really what we think of as a true biscuit yes. in, in the context of an episode like this. Yes. I think I already know the answer to this, but would you serve it to friends? I, I think I would. Would you bring it to an event? See, I, I, I actually think the answer to this is no. I don't think they're special enough. Okay. I think it's a, a fine thing to bring out when people come over mm. as a little thing. But if you're going to take this out, they just look like little cookies. And because they've got such a weird flavor for the States, I don't want to spend the whole event explaining Hey, that's rosemary. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with them, I promise. They're not supposed right. to be. I don't want sweet. people biting into it and being like, oh, oh. <laughs> There's a pine tree in here. What's that about? Exactly. <laughs> Would you make them again? I think so. I've been thinking about it and I almost want 
something else to maybe go on the top or maybe a, a little something else to incorporate. But I, I think that this is a good base and, I, and I've never really thought about making something like this. So I would make something in this vein again. Okay. Anything else we you want us to know about your bake? No, I, I think that it worked really well. And I think that it's... I think that more American bakers should look into doing more savory things because it's, we eat a lot of it, but we don't think about it, that you could make your own crackers at home or things of that nature. And that they might be considerably better or just uh, really different from what you could find in a store. So let's talk about your bake. All right. Well, uh, last week I brought up that common savory biscuit in the South is the cheese straw. And I looked through some baking books and thought about doing something else, but ended up coming back to the cheese straw, partly because they're not a tradition in my family, but I've seen them here and there and thought, you know, I wonder if I could do those and do them well. I ended up finding my recipe in Mastering the Art of Southern Cooking by Natalie Dupree and Cynthia Graubert. The book actually won a James Beard Award. And if you're not familiar, the James Beard Awards are the awards for cookbooks. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know where to get started or you want to know like what has come out in cookbooks that's excellent this year, the James Beard Awards are a wonderful place to start. And I got on a big kick for a while where I was interested in Southern cooking because it's where I grew up, but I feel like... I became interested in food after leaving the South. And then you see things and realize that you're from this place with a wonderful culinary tradition. And it made me want to figure out how can I go back to that. But anyway, so this recipe called for eight ounces of cheddar, eight ounces of Parmesan, and two sticks of butter. So already this is a very fatty cookie. I think all cookies are fatty, but this one probably in particular had an awful lot of dairy fat in it. I used Cabot three-year cheddar, and that's a big part, I think, of what made the cookie successful overall. It's a very sharp cheddar. I found it at Costco and uh, bought it in bulk. We had been working on that block for quite some time, and Eggs and Ryan said he was kind of grateful <laughs> that I used up the last night bit. cheese. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's the morning cheese, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have night cheese and morning cheese in the Oud household. The Belgioso Parmesan was just cheap stuff I found. I am not actually in love with Parmesan in general. I don't think I have had really good stuff in a long time. And to me, not great Parmesan is not as good as not great cheddar. So Megan and I are no longer friends. Thank you for listening to the Kingdom Altar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kicked off the island. So is it because you're a Parmesan lover? I love all cheese. Mm -hmm. but <laughs> No, I'm just, except shake can cheese. Yeah, that's the only Parmesan I That's not really do. cheese. That's like dryer lint that has been. Cheese product. Yes, exactly. They don't even call it cheese. Yeah, they have to add an extra word, to be honest, because the FDA made them. I shredded all of this, since it was a full pound of it, I shredded it with the food processor. This took about three minutes, and two of those minutes were setting up the machine. So I have, in the worst kitchen injury I've ever had, I gave myself with a cheese grater. I don't trust them. I own a cut-proof glove that I use if I ever have to use a hand grater. I removed a chunk of my pinky knuckle grating a carrot once, and I still have the scar. It's about half the size of a dime. 
And that's because a, an actual divot came out of my finger. So any chance I have to use a contained grater where there's no way I can cut myself, that's what I go for. And it is a bitch to clean, but to me it's worth it. So I grated all my cheese and set that aside. And then I creamed my butter, which was room temperature, and added the cheese in. And the recipe specified it's important that you get it really smooth because the smoother your mixture, the less likely your cheese straws are to be gritty. Parmesan especially tends to have kind of a crystalline structure. I don't know if you've ever noticed. Right. Oh, absolutely. Right. And they don't, ideally that doesn't come through in your cookie. So you want it to be, honestly, the closer you could get it to Velveeta, the better. But here's the tricky part. If you use low quality cheese, you don't get flavor. And flavor was really important to me. But I'll explain later why the clumpier the less smooth your cheese, then the less attractive your cookie. So I got it as fine as I could. I used the finest grade I could on the food processor. I could have done it by hand and gotten it finer. But it was important to me not to use store-bought cheese or pre-grated or, God forbid, the canned cheese powder because even the recipe specified you get better flavor out of cheese that you grate yourself because pre-grated means flavor lost and well and pre-grated also has a lot of things like cornstarch sometimes like a wood fiber wood fiber or cornstarch in there to keep it from clumping because yes. cheese naturally wants to come back together into a block so if you're buying cheese out of a bag that stays as little parcels something's been added to that to make it do that right and i would i'm not anti like honestly i'd eat a leaf like out of my backyard I need a leaf. I'm oh, not yeah. too good. So having the idea of wood particles in it doesn't really bother me, but it's going to screw with the texture of your cookie. It's going to decrease your flavor. So I went with the stuff I had to shred myself, even though it made a lot more dishes. So I've got my mixture of cheese and butter all mixed up and as smooth as I can get it. And then I added three quarters of a teaspoon of Grey Poupon. And I just want the world to know that Poupon autocorrects to poison. So it came out great. <laughs> and so that made me laugh. Felt the need to tack that on. So some Dijon mustard and I used half a teaspoon of chipotle powder. And the idea is that that gives it a little bit more depth of flavor and maybe just a tiny burn in the back of the throat. It's not enough to see it in the cookie or even really to be able to say there's pepper in this. But I, I really liked what that added. This cookie is interesting for a couple reasons. It does not require you to chill the dough at all. In fact, the dough needs to be very soft and at room temperature. And that's for the second reason this is interesting because it is a pressed cookie. A cookie press is a tool that looks a little bit like something you would use for Play-Doh. In fact, you probably had a Play-Doh toy when you were a kid that does exactly this. You load it, you load dough into a tube and then you squeeze the dough out through a die, and that's what makes your individual cookies. So I have a Marcato cookie press. It's all metal, and the idea is that it has a handle on top, and you ratchet down with the handle, and that causes a set amount of dough to press out through a die. I used a, a star-shaped die, and it squeezes out that set amount, and that makes your cookie. Does that make any sense at all? I feel like I didn't. Yeah, that right. totally does. Okay, gotcha. And you can get them that are, they can come either electric or ones that you do by hand. Mine is by hand and I I like it okay, but I 
quickly found that it was not actually all that well suited to making cheese straws. Because mine has a ratchet mechanism, it could only push out, it couldn't do a continuous straw like I was planning on doing. It could only do a blob. And usually a spritz cookie or a pressed cookie, they're also called spritz, has a very, very smooth dough. And so when you press, it creates the shape of the die. And so you end up with these blobs that compress together and it could make, say, the shape of a Christmas tree or the shape of a rosette. Mine, I think, came with 20 different dies. And the trouble with my pressed cheese straws is that they still had a little bit of lumpiness from the cheese. It was, I think, unavoidable. And so when I went to press it, instead of making this perfectly shaped, ridged straw, it made a delicious cheese blob. And I personally would rather have used really high quality cheese and not have it extrude as smoothly. Oh, absolutely. That was totally the right choice. But I think if I were on the show, they would have dinged me pretty hard for the way they look. And you guys can look and see what I ended up with on Instagram. But um, That's the Gingham Alter show on Instagram. There we go. It was difficult because I couldn't get the cookie press to let me extrude continuously. So already I'm making cheese dots or cheese blobs. On top of that, they're kind of lumpy and not working that well. So I was pretty annoyed by this point. Plus, it took about five tries before I figured out that I had the die plate in inside out. So it just wasn't working, period, for about 20 minutes. And it wasn't going too well. At this point, my baby wakes up from her nap and... She is, she usually has the sweetest disposition, but she's teething right now and life is just not good for her. And so she woke up pretty angry. Nothing was making her happy. Uh, And it wasn't like, let me set you on the floor and you can play with your toys and I'll wrap this up. Also, I've destroyed the kitchen by this point. This is actually the second batch of cookies that I made. Before this, I made rugelach and which turned out divine, but... By this point, I've been cooking for about two, two and a half hours. I'm very tired and I want to stop. And I have three, four sink loads of dishes to do. And I haven't made dinner yet. And so (laughs) I bit off more than I could chew on on this particular occasion. So Helen's up. She's mad. uh, She wants me to carry her. I can't work a cookie press and carry a baby at the same time. So for the first time, I figure out how to put her in the baby Bjorn on my back which is no mean feat and involves lying on top of your baby, which she wasn't real happy about. But she did like being in the backpack because it made me sweat. And if Helen can make me sweat, she's a happy girl. And (laughs) so she just wants to like... You better work. Exactly. Nestle up close to my body in a hot oven heated kitchen. So I've got Helen in the backpack and I'm squishing them out and I figure, you know what? They're ugly. So what? And I go ahead, I get them all cheese dotted out. They do 10 minutes in the oven per sheet. I only put them in one sheet at a time rather than have to do the whole flip them, flop them, turn them around. Like, no, just put them in the oven one sheet at a time. They don't spread at all, which is lovely because if they had spread, they definitely would have all spread together. But this meant that I could cram like Honestly, I probably got 36 on one sheet. And they came off the silicone baking mat really easily, which I appreciated. They didn't come out greasy at all, uh, which surprised me because of all the butter and the cheese. That's a very oily biscuit. But I was really happy with the baking process once I got used to the fact that they weren't going to be pretty. They taste like 
what a Cheez-It or a Goldfish wants to be. Oh, and that's really what a cheese straw should be. Yes. And, and I think that that's why so many people really love a Goldfish or a Cheez-It, but really all you get off of those is salt and a little bit of crunch. And a properly made cheese straw just has such a fantastic flavor. And I think my mother has said before, I don't understand cheese straws. They just taste like flour. I This makes me think that if she had had one of these, she would change her mind. Because my guess is that when she's had cheese straws, even homemade, that she was having somebody who used medium sharp cheddar made by Kraft. With both of the biscuits that you and I made this week, the ingredient list wasn't very long. Right. And when the ingredient list isn't long, the quality of what you're putting in matters so much more. I feel like these would not have been good at all if I had gone with, even if it were expensive, if I had gone with a more mildly flavored cheese, I think I would have been disappointed. Yeah, that's a good point. The texture when they were warm was soft, almost like one of those biscuits from Red Lobster, uh, which... Uh, this just proves that I'm not so highbrow after all because love a biscuit from Red Lobster. But after they cool off, they get this nice texture, like the bits that cook to the pan when you make a grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes from the fact that the cheese did not get fully, like, pureed. I think that there are still bits that are pretty much solid cheese throughout them. I was honestly really happy with how that turned out. I like the texture. I like the flavor. I would not have done well on the competition because they're not pretty. But I think if I had made them prettier, they wouldn't have been as good. And I guess if I were doing test bakes for the competition to see which I would have made for my signature, I would have discarded these and tried something else. But for me, Absolutely. I love them. I'm going to pass them out and say, here, have an ugly cookie. It's a cheese blob. Enjoy. And I would crisp them up a bit in the toaster oven before serving because it's so humid here that they soften and moisten a bit in the container. But yeah, I would call it a hole in one. Cool. So what did you learn? Hmm. Well, I learned how to use my cookie press, which I have to learn every time I use my cookie press because I use it so seldom. I learned that... Sometimes flavor and appearance really do work in opposition. And if I have to choose between those two, I go with flavor every time. Would you serve this to friends? Absolutely. I'd pitch one at you if you were here. Oh, and I'd eat it in a heartbeat. (laughs) (laughs) I would have been eating this whole time. Uh, Would you bring it to an event? Yes, but I would style them as part of... So my husband tried them and his response was... I don't know how I feel about these. It's funny because it was identical to Dale's response to your biscuits. And I don't know if he's been eating them afterward, but he did say when he tried one again later, these would be good with pepperoni. This is funny because my husband thinks that anything would be good with pepperoni. But I do see what he means in that if there were a charcuterie board or a cheese board, that these would fit in really well. And I can see bringing those to an event in that form. Yeah, and that's actually something about mine is, so Dale doesn't eat cheese. Oh. And so to me, that that was the natural pairing for what I was doing. But I was like, he's like, I don't know what I would eat these with. And you're like, cheese. And I was like, well, you seem to be eating them just fine. But, um, <laughs> Chowing down. But, uh, but I think maybe a charcuterie board would be another good thing to serve this style of things with. Yeah, I think so too. Would you make it again? Uh, not anytime soon because it made a ton of them. But I think 
so, but I'm more of a sweets person. So they're not my idea of a perfect snack. The other thing I made this week was uh, raspberry rugula, which is, I might be saying wrong. I hope I'm not. No, you're not. You got it. Oh, sweet. And it's a rolled, also a cream cheese based food. Apparently I have a, a problem with the cream cheese. But um, you make a cream cheese dough, roll it flat, and top with cinnamon sugar. I used raspberry jam, but you can use whatever jam is your favorite. Apricot is also traditional. Some toasted nuts ground almost to a powder and chopped bittersweet chocolate. And then you roll it all and slice. And it was pretty phenomenal. I'm proud of myself. And I know that Ryan liked them because I suggested that he bring some to school and he said no. Yeah, and Rugelachs actually aren't out of the Southern tradition. They're more, they're from the um, Ashkenazi Jews. I found the recipe in my Smitten Kitchen cookbook. Alrighty, so I had a lot of fun with Savory Biscuits. Same. I think that this was an excellent episode of the show. I did certainly learn some stuff in the kitchen. And so I call this week, you know, for for the bakes maybe not coming out 100% like we might have planned on both sides, mm-hmm. I would call it a success. Same. Yeah. Heck yeah, Savory Biscuits. Let's do it again. Everybody should try one. Like today. Absolutely. You know, go to, it's like, demand it from your local baker. Oh, I've got a good source, too, if people want to check them out. There's an entire chapter in Dory Greenspan's Cookies book, uh, Dory's Cookies. The chapter is called Cocktail Biscuits, and which is code for savory biscuits. So you should check those out. Another cookbook you could try is Salty Snacks by Cynthia Nims. Ooh, writing that down. That has a lot of crisps crackers pretzels dips and other things but there's a whole chapter that kind of has savory biscuits as the principal focus and so that's a good baking oriented cookbook that doesn't do a lot of sweets but instead focuses more in this vein is that spelled n-i-m-s yep yeah i'm a huge cookbook lover are you oh absolutely i i take it's a great thing about working at the library or actually i'll just plug this in general if you're a baker go to the library and check out cookbooks there's no need to buy them when you can just copy pages that you need or to request things just to give them a shot so oftentimes i'll thumb through a cookbook and be like nothing in there for me but then i can just take it back yeah the cookbooks that you buy should be the ones where maybe you've tried a couple of recipes and you know that it's a go-to and you want to keep pulling from it over and over otherwise i mean if you find them at the library book sale or secondhand somehow way to go go nuts but paying 20 to $60 per volume just means that you won't access as many cookbooks. Yeah. Or if there's an author you especially like, then maybe, you know, take a try on that. Cough, Dory Greenspan, cough. Yeah, uh, Ina Garten for me. Yep, there you go. Everybody's got their favorites. All right. Well, that wraps us up for today. Fantastic. If you like the show, tell a friend or give us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It really does help other people find the show. You can also reach out to ask questions and let us know what you think by emailing us at theginghamaltershow at gmail.com. You can find out more about the show and see pictures of our attempted bakes on Instagram at the handle theginghamaltershow. We also have a Twitter handle at a lovely bake. Special thanks to Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com for our theme music, Cheery Monday, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. All these details and more can be found on the show notes each week. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Megan. And this is Mac. Wishing you a lovely bake.